Yeah, and I wanted to share with you a topic today that might be a little bit difficult for us Americans, uh, because this is something that we're not exactly known for here in the United States. Uh, if you travel to other countries across the world, uh, this would not be an attribute that they would give to you as an American, uh, but it is a biblical concept and a biblical attribute, and so I want to look at it because before I'm an American, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, and I believe in the word of God, and I want to pattern my life after the word of God. So we're going to talk today about a topic that might be a little bit difficult, but it's really good, and it's the topic of gentleness, gentleness. I've been to uh, several countries, uh, mostly in Southeast Asia, and uh, we had the opportunity, myself and a, a team that I had joined to go on a missions trip over there from uh, Bible college. Uh, we went to Thailand and Laos and Malaysia and Indonesia. And I, I remember in particular, we were in the Buddhist schools of Thailand, and we had this incredible opportunity to these massive schools full of thousands of teenagers, and we had this huge assembly out in the, the pasture. They built a stage for us, and uh, they had mic'd it up and got the speakers, and and all these students came and they sat on the ground and it was just, I don't know how many thousands of, of students, teenage students there were there, but we had the opportunity to tell them all about Jesus at a Buddhist school, which was really, really, really cool. And afterwards, all these students, they, they just crowded around us uh, like we were something special. I mean, I guess, you know, we had traveled all the way across the world to, to be there with them. Uh, but they wanted to come, they wanted to meet us, they wanted to try out some of their English because they learned uh, English at these schools that we went to as a second language, kind of much like we learned Spanish in our uh, schools here in uh, East Texas. They were learning English, so they, they wanted to come and try their hand at speaking to someone that spoke English fluently. And, and so I remember talking to them, and they had asked me, you know, where, where are you from? Well, I'm from the United States of America. Oh, Where? Like, we don't know where Thailand is on a, like, most people probably couldn't point out Thailand on a map, but these kids and their geography there is incredible. They're like, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Texas. They said, oh, yeehaw! I said, yeah, yeah, yeehaw, you know, like, do you wear a big hat? And I was like, not, not very much, no, uh, but a lot of people do. Do you ride a horse? No, I, I don't have a horse, uh, but if I did, I probably would ride it. Uh, you know, they had all these questions, you know, these Texan stereotypes uh, to ask us. And, uh, and I remember being over there and talking to some of the pastors there. And, and uh, I was talking to one pastor in particular, and I said, you know, us Americans, you know, coming here, we are completely out of our element. Just from an outsider's view, what would your encouragement or what would your direction as a pastor be for something that I as a, as a Christian, as an American could work on. And he said, well, Christians are very, very prideful. And I said, amen, God bless America. <laughs> yeah, I think Texans in particular are very, very prideful. And he said, you know, there, there's, there's reasons to be proud. He said, but, you know, as Christians, we need to learn to be humble. We need to learn to, to be gentle. And those words, they, they stuck with me. And uh, so I want to share with you today a little bit about gentleness, because this is a kingdom principle that we could all benefit really greatly from. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Kings. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 12 here in a moment. 1 Kings 
chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, whenever I was a teenager, I went to a couple of my friends' house, and, and uh, they did wear hats and have horses. Um, and so one day, we, we decided we were going to go ride their horses. And they had uh, three horses and a, a mule. And um, it was myself and my brother, and then our two friends. So three horses and a mule, four people. And so we were trying to decide who was going to ride which horse and who was going to get the mule. And uh, my two friends, they said, well, this is my favorite horse. I'm, I'm taking it, and I'm, I'm taking this one. And, and so it was down to me and my brother and a horse and a mule. And so we had to decide, you know, who's going to ride the horse, who's going to ride the mule. And I thought, man, I'll ride the horse. I want to ride the horse. You know, it sits up taller, you know. Who would want to ride a mule whenever you have a horse? I don't know. So, you know, I, I was greedy. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to ride the horse. And uh, so we, we got them all saddled up and got ready to go. And, and my friend said, uh, just be real careful because this horse, uh, he, he's broken, but he's a little bit wild. And I thought, man, I should have got the mule. <laughs> so we, we mounted up and we started walking down this little trail on our horses and and uh, my horse was stubborn, and so I, he was kind of in the back because he's, you know, wanting to, you know, do the opposite of what I wanted him to do. And so my brother and my two friends, they're ahead of me about 20 or 30 yards, and, you know, all their horses are just. And I'm like, man, this horse is so stubborn. It won't do anything I want it to do. And uh, so they, they stopped up there, and they let me catch up. And... Uh, then one of my friends, we, we, we were, you know, sitting there on our horses and mule and talking, and one of my friends is like, all right, last one to the house loses. And so they're all, yeah, you know, and all their horses take off, and my brother on that mule, that mule takes off, and I'm like, I didn't know mules could run like that. Well, my horse decided he wasn't going to be the last one to get there, and that he would be a little bit quicker if I wasn't on him, and so he proceeded to buck and threw me off. He, he was bucking. I, had, I mean, I've ridden horses a couple times in my life, but not regularly. I've never, certainly never ridden a, a bull or a, a wild bronco or anything like that. So I didn't know what to do if a horse started bucking. So I was probably doing all the wrong things. I don't know, but he started bucking, and he threw me right over the top of him. Like, I remember seeing his head as I flipped over, and then I'm looking up, and I'm seeing, you know, the, the chest part of the horse, and it's up on its back legs, and I'm like, oh, man, this is how it all ends. This is it for me. And that horse saw, I don't know, just by the grace of God, that horse came down and landed and didn't land on me, but he took off lickety-split once I wasn't on his back anymore. And so I'm, I got the breath knocked out of me, so I'm trying to get up on my, <gasps> and so I'm running after this horse, and my brother and my friends are, I mean, they're already like out of sight, and I just see the horse running off. And so I'm like running, I'm like, what do I do? Like, what happens if I lose their horse? <laughs> I don't know what to do. And so I'm running as fast as I can, run almost all the way back to the house, and my friends and my brother are just dead with laughter just laughing so hard, and I'm like banged up, I'm dusty, I am had a near-death experience, and I was like, my, I'm never riding this horse again. They said, man, we told you, this isn't a gentle horse. I thought, yeah, you told me that after I was on the horse, like, come on. So here's the thing about this horse, even though it was broken, it wasn't gentle, it wasn't a real gentle horse, and it didn't like the fact that I was on its back, 
I want to read this verse from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And this is Paul. He's writing to the believers in a city called Ephesus, and he's saying this. Listen, you have to be always, always, always be humble and gentle. And I think that this message is probably going to be a little bit harder for us today because right now in our American culture, the concept of gentleness isn't entirely a popular one. We have this, I I don't know, you've seen it, you've seen how culture has its ebbs and flows. Well, right now in our American culture, we're in this ebb and flow that says, hey, if I can be louder and if my opinion can be more radical, people will listen to me and respect me. That's what we think. That's our mentality. As long as I say it loud enough and my opinions are enough to get under people's skin a little bit, they're going to listen. But I love that that's just an American concept. That's not a kingdom concept. So today I want to encourage you, be humble and be gentle. So as we talk about this, I better go ahead and give you a good definition of gentleness Uh, This is going to be the the most straight-to-the-point definition that I could possibly give you. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Gentleness is power under control. Power under control. I want you to think about my horse. My horse had all the power to bug me off, and for a moment, it kept that power under control. But as soon as that horse got excited... It decided that it didn't need to keep that power under control anymore. It could do what it wants, and it threw me off. It had the power. All the power was there, but for that moment that I mounted onto the horse, that horse was keeping that power under control. It was being gentle for a moment. And this word in the, in the Greek in Ephesians chapter 4, it's that same concept that you would use if you're talking about a tamed animal. It's an animal that has all the power that a wild animal has of its kind, but the tamed animal keeps that power under control. And that's the idea that Paul wants to give us today in Ephesians chapter 4, is that we should be a people that keeps the power that we have under control. Someone say, I can do that. I can do that. See, in the kingdom of God, we know that we, we, have a power, we have power to hurt people. We have power to help people. We have power to, to say dividing words, and we have power to say building words. We have those, that power within us, so what are we going to do with it? We need to make that power be held under control and in submission to God. Amen. Amen. So number one, here's point number one for you today. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is not weakness. So I want to actually look at three people today with you uh, that are going to help us learn a little bit about gentleness and why it's important and how we get it. Because apparently uh, some of us, and I'm not going to say any names, but some of us do not possess gentleness. Uh, If you're in a marriage relationship, then there's probably one or the other that maybe doesn't possess as much gentleness as the other. So don't look at them right now. Don't, don't do that. You might get yourself in trouble. Uh, but we're going to talk about it. And point number one, gentleness is not weakness. We have this concept in our minds, in this culture that we live in, that if you're gentle, you're being 
weak, that you will be easily manipulated. Have you ever heard the term, well, I'm just not going to let them walk all over me. I'm not going to do it because gentleness is weakness. If I show them I'm gentle, they're going to walk all over me. I want to look at this person right here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. The first person we're going to look at today is Rehoboam. Rehoboam. So we're going to start in uh, verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. Now, I want to pause just for one moment. I told, I'm sorry, I know we just jumped into it. But he had just been made king. Now, Rehoboam is the grandson of David. So we all know about King David, you know, the, the apple of God's eye, you know, the one close to God's heart. He loved God, and God loved him. Uh, he's an incredible king. And during David's reign, he unified all of Israel. And all of Israel, they, they'd been kind of split and divided with Saul, and, and there was a lot of war and a lot of stuff going on, and a lot of people in Israel had their allegiance to this person, and a lot of people to that person. Well, in David's reign as king, all of Israel became united again. It was a wonderful thing that no king in Israel had really ever done before. All the people had always been divided, but now everyone's united and they all love their king. Well, David gets old and he dies and his son Solomon becomes king. Now Solomon was also a good man. If you'll remember, in fact, they're talking about that this morning down there in kids' church. Solomon was the guy that asked God for wisdom. God said, you can ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for victory over his enemies. He could have asked for uh, power or prestige or notoriety or, or influence or any of these things. But he asked for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom, but then he also gave him the riches that he didn't ask for. And he gave him the, all of the, the things, the might and the power that he didn't ask for. And so David unified the country. Well, Solomon built on what his father David had done, and now Israel is the most wealthy country in the world. They've got the, the best, most powerful army in the world, and he did a lot to boost the economy of Israel. Well, Solomon dies, and here's Rehoboam, his son, the grandson of David. Verse uh, 2. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, that, that, uh, Shechem, that Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam said with the whole, Israel, whole assembly of Israel, I'm sorry, the leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten this harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam, he's young, he's inexperienced. He replies, give me three days to think this over and then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Now, he was young and experienced, but that's a pretty wise answer, right? Someone's coming and demanding something of you as the new king instead of just saying, oh, yeah, yeah, let me, I'll do whatever you want. He's wise. He said, well, let me think it over. Give me three days and come back. And so then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men. Someone say older men. The older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today, 
and give them a favorable answer. Someone say favorable answer. They will always be your loyal subjects. That was pretty wise, wasn't it? This young, inexperienced king. He didn't know what answer to give them. He said, hey, come back in three days. I'll give you the answer then. Then he went to the older men that had advised his father, King Solomon, and said, what should I do? And they said, be a servant to your people. As the king, be a servant to your people. Serve your people and give them a favorable answer, and they will, always, they will follow you to the ends of the earth. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. Tell them this, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. That escalated quickly. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke. Come on, he spoke harshly to the people. For he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Wow, jump down to verse 16. When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. Now look at verse 19. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. Wow. So Rehoboam did everything right. He said, hey, come back here. I'll give you an answer. Come back here in three days. Then he got some advice from his dad's counselors, and they said, be a servant, be gentle with them. Give them a favorable answer. Speak kindly to them, and they will follow you to the ends of the earth. And then Rehoboam asked his peers, those that were young and inexperienced like he was, he said, what do you think I should do? They said, you talking about these complainers? You talking about, <laughs> oh man, you're the ruler now, Rehoboam. You're the king. You do what you want. Tell them that your dad might have been harsh, but you're going to be harsher. Tell them that you're going to make it heavier for them. You're going to beat them, and you will force them to do what you want them to do. He gave them that answer, and as a result, Rehoboam ended up losing 10 out of the 12 tribes of Israel. They rebelled. They started this civil war in his country. He loses 10, 12, 5, 6 of the kingdom because he chose not to be gentle. See, we have this mentality that gentleness is weakness. And Rehoboam thought the same thing. Well, if I show them I'm gentle, they're going to walk all over me because I'll be weak. But here's the truth about gentleness. It's not weakness. It's power 
under control. Think about your vehicle that you probably drove here this morning, unless you've got an electric vehicle. Your vehicle runs on gas. And inside the engine of your vehicle, there are thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of explosions underneath the hood of your vehicle that make your car run. And it's these little explosions that give your car the power to turn its wheels and to drive. Now see, that's a wonderful thing. I don't know about y'all, but I'm very glad I did not have to walk here this morning. It takes me 19 minutes to get from my house to here. And I'm very glad that I didn't have to walk because it would probably take in at least 20 minutes because uh, I'm pretty fast. Uh, but I'm, I'm very happy about that. I love that. I love those little explosions under my hood. It's great. But here's the thing. If you take something that has that much power and it's out of control, it's going to be a very bad thing. Under the hood of your car in a controlled environment, those explosions are great. But do you remember just a few weeks ago, there was a massive blast in Beirut. Killed a lot of people. I don't know if you saw video on it. I don't think there's ever been a video that our world has ever seen of an explosion quite like that before. It was absolutely it is shocking to see. And it caused so much devastation. It ended a bunch of lives and, and destroyed the people's trust. And, and the people of Beirut now, they're, they're rising up against their government, saying, how could you let this happen? How come there was that much explosives in this place? And, and we see that those explosions outside of a contained environment are very harmful. They're bad. Now, see, that's gentleness. Gentleness is the container for the power that we have. Being gentleness isn't weak. It doesn't mean you don't have the power. Being gentle just means that you understand how to control the power that you have. Whenever I think of gentleness, I think of little Mother Teresa. She's probably one of the, the best examples of gentleness that my generation and those generations before me have ever seen embodied in a single person. Now, this little bitty one, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture. I saw a picture the other day of, of her with uh, President Bush, uh, the senior, and his wife. And uh, she had been invited to the White House so that they could honor her and uh, give her some award. And there's this picture, and, and you see her standing there next to the president, and, and she's just like this tall. She's just a, a tiny, tiny woman. And she was elderly, and, you know, she just walked real slow and kind of looked real frail, and she's real soft-spoken and just real gentle. This woman grew up in India. India is the second largest country in the world, but only by a small little bit does China beat it out. India is home to over 1.7 billion people. That's about a seventh of the world's population right now. This is the country that she grew up in, a little Roman Catholic nun in a country that is over 95% Hindu and Muslim. And she was given by the Indian government the highest civilian award that anyone could be given, the highest civilian award in a country where 95% of the people do not share the same beliefs that she has. That's incredible. And it shows that weakness, or gentleness, I'm sorry, is not weak. It's not a weakness. This woman lived her life serving others and helping others and giving to others and, and showing hospitality and generosity and, and showing gentleness. 
And this woman has influenced entire cultures all across the world with people that don't even share her same values or set of beliefs. Gentleness is not weakness, church. It's not weakness. Check this out, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. It says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Have you ever been in an argument with someone? Let me, let me, let me bring it home a little bit. Parents, have you ever been in an argument with your kids? You know, they, they, they come in and, Mom, I want to do this. Dad, I want to do this. No, you're not doing that. You did not clean your room like I told you to. But, Mom, it's not fair. Well, I told you that you had to clean your room before you go out. Have, have, is that familiar with anybody? No? Okay, just checking. I'm a youth pastor, so I've, I've heard it, but, you know, I've never seen it. Uh, here's the thing. Whenever we get in an argument, a lot of times, whenever an answer is given, the person you are giving the answer to, if they don't agree with it, they will raise their voice a little bit. They think, hey, if I just get a little bit louder, maybe they'll get the point. Maybe they'll understand where I'm coming from. That normally doesn't work, not even just with parents and children, but with anybody. If you get in an argument and you get a little bit louder, what's going to happen? They're going to get a little bit louder. They're going to try to match. Oh, no, he, he's not going to walk me down on this. Uh-uh. And they get a little bit louder, so you really got to get your point across then. So you, and then they. Look at this. A gentle answer deflects anger. What would happen if someone came up to you and they had their voice raised? And your answer was soft and gentle. Do you know it's scientifically proven that if you answer with, with psychology or something, I don't understand all of it. But psychologically, if you give someone a soft answer, if they come at you heated and you give them a soft answer, it's almost immediately they change their minds about you. It's incredible. It's incredible. I love how the word of God is, is so accurate. It's so true in every aspect. A gentle answer deflects. That means it turns it away. A gentle ander, answer turns anger away. It's like, a, like a, have you ever seen someone play ping pong? They hit the ball. It, it turns the ball the other way. It's incredible. Gentleness is not weakness. Here's point number two. Gentleness does not mean compromise. Gentleness does not mean compromise. So in our culture, we think that gentleness is a weakness, that if we show gentleness, people will walk all over us. But we also think and assume of other people whenever we see that they are gentle with something, we have this assumption that they are agreeing with the person that's arguing against them. Like if someone comes and accuses you of something, if you don't just viciously oppose what they said about you, then other people will assume that you are agreeing with them. Have you ever seen that? I don't know if any of you ever took, a, took debate in uh, high school, maybe. But if you took debate, if someone accuses you of something and you don't answer them back, it's assumed that you are agreeing with them. And I think we've adopted this mentality in our interactions with other people. But can I just tell you the truth today? That is not the truth today. The truth is gentleness does not mean compromise. Check out Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. It says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We talked about Rehoboam and how he was the opposite of gentle. Well, now we're going to talk about Jesus for a moment. These are his words up on the screen. Listen to this. In a portion of your Bible that's titled, The Father Revealed in the Son, this is what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you more work to do. Nope. Nope. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Church, this is so beautiful. Listen. Jesus, in, in this portion of the Bible, again, that's titled, The Father Revealed in the Son, Jesus is saying this, I am gentle. That's how he describes himself. And in this moment, he is showing us the heart of God. I am so thankful that we don't have a God that hates us that we don't have a God that's out for vengeance, that we don't have a God that's, that's sick and tired and mad of us and, and just ready to just wipe us out. I'm so glad that that's not his heart for us. God, thank you that you are gentle. Thank you that you are humble in heart, God, because I need it. I need it. And let me tell you what, if God is gentle, then you better believe that gentleness is not compromise. It's not compromise. Check this out, Isaiah 53, verse 7 through 9. This is beautiful. He was oppressed, talking about Jesus, and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. Listen, they're not just picking random animals to describe God. Lambs are known as to, to be the most gentle creature, along with doves, on earth, and guess what? The Bible describes Jesus as both being a lamb and, and the Holy Spirit as being a dove. <laughs> They're gentle. They're gentle. As a sheep is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, someone accused him. Unjustly, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Yet he never opened up his mouth against his accusers. Wow. Unjustly condemned. Listen, if someone comes at you and they have an accusation towards you, that doesn't mean that you have to answer them back. You know one of the most powerful things you as a Christian can do? Is just not say anything. Just keep your mouth closed and let them condemn, let them believe, but show them gentleness, gentleness. I told you this is going to be countercultural to everything we, we thought we knew. So it might help for just a moment to, to just put everything we've ever learned about ourselves and about our culture and just kind of put it aside and pick up the word of God because this is rich. This is rich. I love it. Isaiah, not only did he, he, he didn't just say, you know, Jesus didn't do anything to respond. He went even further and said Jesus didn't even say anything to respond. He was so gentle. And don't get it wrong because he could have. Look at this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 50 through 55. 
Jesus is in the garden. His accusers come and they come to arrest him. This, check this out. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Talking about Judas and the, those that were coming to arrest Jesus. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Look at what Jesus said. Put away your sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. But if I did, if I opened my mouth, if I asked, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then look what Jesus said to those that had come to arrest him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary? Did I give you the impression that I was a violent person? Did you expect me to put up a fight whenever you came here? Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you would come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. The same person that was in that temple teaching is the same person that you are here to arrest right now. I'm not going to fight you. But Jesus, don't let them walk all over you. Are are y'all following where this is about to go? I don't know if we realize it or not, but gentleness is the vehicle that salvation came in. Wow. Not only did Jesus change a culture, but he changed my eternity because he was gentle. He was, oh, Jesus, thank you. Showed such great gentleness. Such great gentleness. He could have called down thousands of angels to put an end to that arrest right there. But he showed gentleness. He had all the power within him, but he kept that power under control. I love this. On the cross, Jesus' dying words were, it is finished. What's finished? His mission's finished. His will for us to die for our sins was finished. This word finished in the Greek means complete, completely done. Listen, Jesus was the most gentle person that any of us could ever experience or get to know. And he completed the mission of God through gentleness. Listen to me. He beat. Our enemy, Satan, the devil, he beat him, all while being gentle. Tell me that gentleness is weakness. Come on, I dare you, try. (laughs) Gentleness is not weakness, and it's not compromised because God never compromised his methods. God never compromised his mission. God never compromised his will. Instead, he completed it all through gentleness. Gentleness. Hmm. Well, Pastor Sam, wasn't there that one time that uh, Jesus went into the temple and he flipped over a bunch of tables and yelled at people and, and used a whip and, and drove people out of the temple? Wasn't there that time like, well, I don't know, man, that doesn't seem real gentle to me. Uh, guess what it was? I'll show you. <laughs> Let's look at it together. John chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. 
In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifice. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. So Jesus did what any good, wonderful, loving God would do. He made a whip from some ropes, and he chased them all out of the temple. Men, women, children, sheep, cattle. He ch- what, Jesus? What happened, man? I thought you were gentle. And then he scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor and turned over their tables. And then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. I want you to notice this. It doesn't say anger for God's house will consume me. It doesn't say righteous indignation. It says passion. Because here's the thing about gentleness. You can be gentle and still be passionate. It's not a compromise. We have to get this mentality out of our heads. It's not a compromise. Notice this. It says Jesus went into the temple and he observed these things that were going on. And then it tells us that he made a whip. Jesus didn't look at everything and just say, oh, 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 I got to get these guys out of here. Let me find the closest weapon. Oh, here's a whip. This will work. Ah, shah, shah, get out of here. No, no, no. He saw what was going on, and then he made a whip with his hands. I've never made a whip before, but I have a whip in my office that we use for kids' church. I'm just kidding, kidding. <laughs> I do have a whip, but we don't use it for kids' church very often. Anyways. It's, it's, a, it's a bunch of leather that's been braided together, and it's got a certain anatomy to this whip that makes it sound loud whenever you use it, whenever you crack it, if you know what you're doing. Jesus made it, which tells me that he had the opportunity to cool off a little bit. If he had gone in there and seen the, the chaos that was happening in the temple, he, he had the opportunity as he's making that whip to be like, oh, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe I shouldn't use this would maybe I should just be gentle Jesus. Listen, he had the opportunity to calm down, but he didn't. Why? Because he didn't need to calm down. Because he was never in a rage to begin with. He had power under control. Now, gentleness doesn't mean that you don't use the power that you have. It means that you control the power that you have. You use it in the situation where it's necessary, but you have to be wise enough to know when to use it, when not to use it, and how much of it to use. And Jesus knew that better than any of us. I want you, here's the second reason why I know that Jesus didn't just fly off the handle in this moment, is because he used the whip to, to scatter all the, the people and the, the cattle and the sheep But he went to the dove, the people selling dove, and what did he say? He said, get them out of here. Get them out of here. Jesus could have done to the dove what he did to the money changers' tables. He could have just thrown everything off and flipped the tables. He could have knocked down the bird cages and all that. But guess what would have happened? These dove probably would have been injured or killed. Jesus wasn't there to destroy. He was there to rebuild. So he tells them he's got the mentality in the midst of all these sheep that are meh, and all the, the, the cattle that are just meh, I mean, they're stampeding out there. People are running and screaming, ah! you know, where's my child? You know, they're all looking around like, 
They, they don't know what's going on. It's just mayhem in there. But in that moment, Jesus is collected. He's got his power under control, and he tells the, the people selling doves, he says, get these out of here. He could have done the damage, but he didn't come there to damage something. He came there with the intention to rebuild and to cleanse God's place, God's holy sanctuary. I love that. So even in this seemingly bizarre story of Jesus, we're still reminded that even in that moment, he still had complete control over the power in him. And that is what gentleness is, power under control. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This word discipline means a nurturing care. Now, you might say, well, isn't there that one verse in the Bible that says, spare the rod, spoil the child? There is, there is. But God's direction for fathers, for parents is this. Bring your children up with nurture and care. Sometimes you will have to use the rod to discipline them. Listen, I'm not saying you don't. That's in the Bible. That's what God says. I, I have a feeling he knows a little bit more than I do about it, so I'm going to leave that part up to him. So there may be times as a parent you have to use the rod to discipline your children, but you should never do it out of frustration or anger because then that power that you have has gotten out of control. So you can still use the rod as a parent, but you better make sure that you are calm, that you are collected, that you are not disciplining them out of frustration or anger, but that you are disciplining them to instruct them in the ways of God. That's good, church. That's good. I love the Bible never contradicts itself. That's so good. Here's the last thing. Gentleness does not come naturally. So we've looked at Rehoboam, and we've looked at Jesus, and this last person, I've got one verse I want to share with you. It's about Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. I think it's interesting to note that Moses was the one that wrote this. <laughs> now, now Moses was very humble, more humble than anyone on earth. Oh, that sounds good, God. Thank you. <laughs> he did write it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so he probably really liked writing that one down. I don't know. But if you look... In the Bible right here, this is a Hebrew word that's used that we have translated to humble. Well, this Hebrew word is used 26 times in the Old Testament, and it's only translated as humble five times. It's translated 13 times as being gentle or meek, if you want to use an, an older English word, meek, which means gentleness. This is what Moses is saying in Numbers chapter 12. Now, Moses was very gentle you can use that same word interchangeably. It doesn't change the, the, the biblical text. It doesn't change the, the historical uh, Hebrew text right there. It's the same word right there. Now, Moses was very gentle, more gentle than any other person on earth. I think it's interesting to remember that Moses murdered someone out of anger. <laughs> Moses came down off the mountain after God had, had carved out two stone tablets and written his law on, and, and he had given them to Moses. Think about this. Moses was looking at a tablet that had God's handwriting on it. Not just his law, but the finger of God wrote out the law on these tablets. I can't imagine what God's handwriting must look like. I imagine it's a little bit better than mine. 
But Moses is carrying these down. He comes down the mountain. He looks at Israel. Israel is acting just strange, chaotic. There's nothing right in these people's minds at that moment. Moses flies into a furious rage. He throws down the tablets and smashes them. Now Moses was very gentle, more gentle than any other person on earth. Towards the end of Moses' life, he had led the people of Israel out of Egypt. The people are complaining as they did the entire time. Moses gets fed up with it. One of the last miracles that happened there in the wilderness, God tells Moses, he says, the, the, Moses came to God and said, God, these people are complaining again. They're saying they're thirsty, that there's nothing to drink out here in the desert. What do you want me to do with these guys? I'm headed up to here with them. God tells Moses, he says, go and speak to the rock and water will come from it. So what does Moses do? He gathers all of Israel together. He's standing, I can imagine him standing on this rock. He gathers Israel together. He gives them a big tongue lashing. He starts to, I mean, he, he goes through the whole book there just, you unfaithful, ungrateful bunch of complainers. He starts to speak harshly to them. And he worked himself up so much that whenever he got done giving them a tongue lashing, instead of speaking to the rock, he takes his staff and he beats the rock repeatedly. Moses was the most gentle man on earth. Right? Do you know that because of that instance, God told Moses, you will see the promised land, but you won't be able to enter into it. You've been disobedient. Here's the difference about Moses, because you might be able to say, man, I can kind of relate to this guy. No one knows that I've murdered somebody. It's good. People don't know that I fly off the handle every now and then. It's all right, yeah, but I can kind of relate to Moses, because, I mean, I get good and angry sometimes. Here's the difference in Moses. Moses was teachable. He had a teachable heart, a teachable spirit. And when God rebuked Moses, whenever he corrected Moses, Moses listened and Moses accepted the correction that God had given him. So I want to encourage you this. Gentleness is it's not weakness. Gentleness is not compromise. And even though you may say, hey, I... I want to be gentle, and this sounds great, but I'm just not a gentle person. Look at Moses' life, because gentleness can be learned. can be learned. In fact, gentleness is not natural for anybody. I don't know if you've ever seen a toddler. I've got one. He is not a gentle person. He just runs around, ah! His hands flying everywhere. And to the unexpected person of the male variety, that can be a dangerous thing. Whenever toddlers are running around, their hands are just flying everywhere, and you're not paying attention, it can be very painful. Toddlers are not gentle. They have to be taught to be gentle. They have to be taught, and we have to be taught too. Sorry, I just want to share this one last portion of Scripture, and then, and then we're going to pray and, and be done. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. It says this, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are just the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other 
So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Listen to this. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. Look at these next seven right here. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and then it goes on with envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited, and then I love how Paul just kind of throws it in there again, or provoke one another. Quit that. Be gentle. Don't be jealous of one another. It seems to me that this attribute of gentleness is very important to the heart of God. He wants us to understand it, not like our culture understands it, but how the Word of God understands it. Because if we as a people can be gentle, like Jesus, be gentle and humble in heart, there is nothing that God cannot do through us. As we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, always be gentle, always always. Does that mean? Yes, that means when someone's acting up. Does that mean whenever my boss is, is not having a good, yes, that means when your boss is not having a good day. Always, always, always be gentle. So this is what I want to challenge you with this week. Be gentle. <laughs> Ask God, God, show me the areas of my life where I struggle to be gentle. Show me the people that just rub me the wrong way and show me how I can respond to them with gentleness and with love. Psalms chapter 18, David says this, it's so beautiful. He says, God, your gentleness has made me great. Your gentleness has made me great. Gentleness is, is going to be what makes us, as a people of God, great. Amen. Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you for this word, and I pray that we as a people here at Calvary Tabernacle, that we would not just have heard these words and not just think about them through the day, God, but I pray that these words would sink down inside of our heart, God, that it would cause us to, to move, cause us to change, and cause us to take actions in our life and in our world. God, I pray that we would be the most humble and most gentle people that this side of East Texas has ever seen or experienced in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Here's the last thing I want to show you because this is really good. Whenever I was a boy, my granddad had this hanging up in his home. And uh, it's a couple of horseshoes with some chain welded onto it. And there's an old metal ring. Have you ever seen one of these before? Anybody? No one's ever seen one of these? Okay, all right. Making sure this is an old toy, an old puzzle, an old game. He had this hanging up. And I remember one time I went to his house. And I said, granddad, what's that right there? And he said, get it off the wall. And he showed me. He said, all right, now I want you to take this ring 
off of these horseshoes. I said, Granddad, it doesn't fit. Can't do it. He said, no, you can do it. Granddad, this does not fit. I'm sitting there. My foot was small enough at this time to, to fit through the horseshoe, and I would pull on the ring, and I'm trying to get it off there. And I, In my mind, I'm thinking, this is a bunch of hard metal, so I'm going to have to be really strong to get this ring off. And I tried, and I tried, and tried. I couldn't do it. I said, Granddad, it can't be done. You're just, my granddad was quite a jokester, especially with us grandkids. I said, Granddad, you're just trying to trick me. That thing doesn't come off of there. See, yeah, it does hand it to me. Handed it to him. He takes it like this. He goes, I said, wait, how did you do that? Like, you didn't get a, a torch out? You didn't get a grinder out? The, the horseshoes are still in shape. The chain is still linked. And so I'm looking at the chain. I'm like, maybe it comes apart. Well, it doesn't. It's all welded together. How did you do that? And he showed me. He said, not like that. He said, you're just trying to do it by force. He said, you got to be gentle with it. So he takes it and he shows me, you put the ring right in the middle of the chain and then all you do is just give it a real gentle twist. And the ring comes right off. And all of these years later, I still remember that this hard piece of metal, this game is beat just by a gentle little twist. So I want to encourage you this week. Let gentleness be your priority. Let gentleness be your goal this week and watch what God can do through you. I love you so much, church. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. We'll see you again on Wednesday night. And uh, parents, your kids are in the Life Center. So if you uh, are looking for them and if you want to take them home today, that will be where you can find them. Love you so much, church. Have a wonderful day.